0: I remember when I was a young boy going to church, one day I asked the question, who's is Israel? You know, there's this there's this people in the Bible. We, we read the Bible from beginning to end and over and over. We read about this people called Israel. Now, who are these people? Israel is what I asked. And the, the common answer has always been, oh, well, Israel, we are Israel. You know, we as Christians, the church, we are Israel. And yes, that's that's a valid answer. But then oftentimes it's kind of been the idea that the Israel, the bloodline Israel in our Bibles, we kind of replaced them. We took their place. They weren't good enough for God and we rather win. And, and now we are replacing them. And that's really what we call today in, in theological circles as replacement theology. And so today we're going to be looking a little bit at that in our Romans series where we're looking through Romans chapter 10 to 12. We're also going to ask the question you know, why do we have unbelieving um, bloodline Jews today? People from the southern house of Judah, why do we have them? And why did, why did we read in the scriptures in Romans that, that, that God said that He put, He blinded their eyes? And what does that mean for them today and for their future? And and what does it mean for us? So um, today, Christina is here joining me. Christina, do you want to introduce yourself to everyone?
1: Hey, everyone. Of course, I'm Christina. Like P.D. said, we'll be jumping into Romans 10 through 12 and discussing Israel, replacing theology. And what it means to be grafted in, like Paul talks about in Romans 11, into the olive tree. And then concluding with Romans 12, what the heart of the matter is. Getting back to the basics and the foundation. Alright, so beginning in Romans 10, verse 1, we have where Paul writes, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, being Israel, is that they may be saved. Now just pause in that very first verse You think about it. This is Paul's heart's desire and prayer to God. So, shouldn't this also be our heart's desire and our prayer to God? We pray for our brothers and sisters who do not yet see Yeshua, who have not yet accepted Him as their as their Messiah, to pray for them. But our, it's our heart's desire that we're always praying and lifting them up to the Father. For I bear witness, bear them witness, that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. We're being ignorant. Of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own they did not submit to God's righteousness for Christ Messiah is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes now this verse Romans 10 verse 4 for Messiah is the end of the law is used so often to mean that well Messiah now takes the place of the law, we've gotten rid of the law, he's the end, he's the completion, the law is done away with, goodbye, adios, you know, au revoir, but that's not what it's saying at all. If you go back to the Greek, you'll see that the word end is the word telos, which more correctly means the aim or the goal, the point, kind of like in the word telescope that we have. So what does the telescope? do? It, it uh, focuses on a point. And it reveals it but it points to something so for messiah is the goal it is the aim of the law for righteousness we just spoke about working you know, about god's righteousness and the only way we can walk in god's righteousness is through walking in yeshua's footsteps he came as that example he is the goal the point of the law for walking in accordance to god's righteousness not our own and we need yeshua and that is why it should be our heart's desire in prayer to God that the eyes of Israel will be opened to Yeshua that they can walk in this righteousness through walking as Yeshua walked as they see Him as their Messiah.
0: Right. It really just speaks to how the Torah or the law of God must point in every way to Him, and if it doesn't, there is actually it, it's not fulfilling the purpose of it. You know, um, just to kind of expand what you said, Christina, like tell us. I've actually looked up um, the different. The, in the Strong's Concordance, you know, what it can mean. And like you said, it, mean, it can mean to point at or to aim like a telescope. It can also mean a continual, a custom, or end purpose. So, you know, that means for Messiah is the continual of the law or the custom of the law or the end purpose of the law. It's it's what it is about. You see, that that's that's amazing. So he's he's not saying, you know, it's kind of interesting because, you know, like you have also heard, I've heard many people say, you know, the preacher, big preacher is up there. He's like, God is, or Jesus is the end of the law. We don't need to do it anymore because he ended it with his life. But that's actually absolutely not at all what this is saying or meaning here. And uh, it's it just you know, and if we go into verse three, he says, "For not knowing the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own righteousness, they're not subjecting themselves to the righteousness of God." You know, and he's speaking to those who try to establish their own righteousness, and because they and they didn't subject to righteousness of God. Now, you know, there there are these two kind of righteousnesses at work here. You know, trying to basically depend on your own works to get saved because he's talking about salvation here without Messiah and, and having your works with Messiah is the other one where he says that is the righteousness of God. That is if you have, if you've got, you have obedience, but you have also belief in Messiah to go with that. So, you know, we see the, this fulfillment of that, that when he says that, you know, Messiah is the, the, the goal of the law. Just as an example, you know, we, we see this in the feast days of God, for example, you know, where the feast days are are markers on our calendar that absolutely to the T point to Jesus, to Yeshua, what he would come to do and what he did do and what he will come to do in the future. So, you know, to the T, it's pointing to his resurrection, his death, his all that, as well as his second coming, and Feast of Trumpets, David Atonement, um Sukkot as well. You know, so that's one example. The other example, just off the top of my head, is, is the the Shabbat, the Sabbath day, you know, where God um, instructed us to rest on the seventh day. And then we read in the scriptures how He is our rest. In other words, you can rest as much as you want physically and all that, but you need to rest in Him because that's what the instruction is actually about. Is it's actually coming and resting in what Yeshua did for you in him spiritually, but then doing a physical work because obviously we need to do um, by keeping that
1: instruction. And Right, exactly. that It's often that, you know, dichotomy between a physical and the spiritual and Paul's bringing it back together that you must have, yes, the physical actions, you know, following what is actually written in the Torah, but you need to combine it with faith, with like PD mentioned with the Shabbat, you can rest on Shabbat, but you need to, the more important what all Shabbat is about is resting, not just to rest, but resting in his presence, because it is like that date with our bridegroom. That is what Shabbat is about, and that's why it was given to us as a blessing, as a gift, so that we can rest in his presence. And so there is that connection between the physical and the spiritual need to work together. And that's what Paul is addressing here as well.
0: And many times we think of, for example, the the Sabbath. That's a great example of how people have interpreted to mean, to use this verse that, you know, um, Yeshua is the end of the law. And now, okay, so he's the end of the commandment of keeping this Sabbath day holy. Now we just do it spiritually. We just like spiritually rest in him, you know. But... That yes, we do rest in Him in that way. But the way you rest in Him is by actually doing an action to back up what you say. That means you actually physically go. You put everything down. You don't do your work that you do say the other six days of the week, and you rest and you rest in Him and have communion, intimacy with Him. That relationship, you know. That's people I've heard it said, Oh, you know, that's such a burden. You know, it, I'm like, well, oh, if it's a burden to rest, I mean. <laughs> If it's you're a doing burden it to rest, Sorry?
1: Like if you it's a burden to rest when you're doing it wrong, because yes. it's not a burden. It's a blessing.
0: Exactly. So you know, just just one example. You know, so, but what if the Sabbath as an example is not the is not to be ended, but it is the 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 whole point of it is to point to like a telescope to Yeshua. And so that means that you can keep like a Pharisees. They did this. They kept the Sabbath time, certain Pharisees. They kept it in the first century when Yeshua was around. But they kept it so wrongly because they didn't have the point down. They didn't understand that it pointed to the word that became flesh, Yeshua. So, you know, that means you can keep it, but you don't really keep it in God's eyes. Because the only way you can really keep it is by resting in Him. Because that's the point of it.
1: Exactly. And like Paul talks about in the beginning of Romans, it's all about <clears throat> the obedience of faith. So you have faith, but you have obedience. The way God prescribes it in his word, in his Torah. And like P just mentioned a second ago, I'm just gonna jump onto that really quick. When the Pharisees, certain Pharisees they would keep the Sabbath, and then they, you know, were upset that Yeshua they said broke the Sabbath when he wasn't. Because what he was doing is he was bringing restoration and liberty and freedom to those who who were lame, who were in bondage physically or spiritually on the Sabbath. That's what the Sabbath is about. And so it's combining that physical aspect with the spiritual that, yes, we are to rest, but we are also to rest in his presence. We are to do his will. We are to have communion and close fellowship with him. So it is understanding that. And that is what we are called to do as his bride.
0: Right, exactly. So next off, what we see Paul do is he he starts writing in Romans ten verse five about these. He continues with this the the writings about righteousness, and he and he lays out two different righteousnesses, if you will. And uh, let's see what what he says. He he says that in Romans ten verse five, for Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the Torah or the law, and he quotes then out of Leviticus. He says, "The man who does these shall live by them." Okay. Now it's interesting, you'll see here in Romans 10 that Paul quotes a lot out of the Torah, actually. Like almost most of what he's saying in Romans, almost the whole chapter of ten is is actually just direct quotes out of Leviticus and Deuteronomy. And so, you know, oftentimes what we do is we read these writings and we don't really understand what he's trying to say because we don't know the verses that he's quoting. If you don't have if you've never read the verses that he's quoting. Um, where they are in the Torah, and you just read about him quoting it and then writing about it, you're kind of reading. It's like reading commentary about something you've never read yourself before. How will you understand what he's talking about? And so I encourage people to, you know, I encourage you to get a Bible that, that, that like I'm reading from the scriptures, the ISR. And that translation, for example, shows you, each, each time that a New Testament author quotes out of the Torah, he, it shows you, oh, he's quoting out of Leviticus. Oh, he's, he's quoting out of Deuteronomy, et cetera. And that really will help your studies because then you can go back and say, okay, well, what is he really saying there? Okay, so um, we read in, in Leviticus 18 verse 3. This is what he quoted. So he says, he talks about this righteousness of the Torah. And he says, the man who does these shall live by them. That's what he quotes. Now, let's look at what he says in Leviticus. Leviticus 18 verse 3. Do not do as they do in the land of Egypt, where you dwelt. And do not do as they do in the land of Canaan, where I am bringing you. And do not walk in their laws. Do my right rulings and guard my laws to walk in them. I am Yahweh, your God. And you shall guard my laws and my right rulings, which a man does and lives by them. I am Yahweh. So God here in Leviticus is he's actually talking about this other land. He's saying, these people of the world, they have their own laws. They've got their own customs, their own ways of doing things. You're going to be different. You're not going to do it that way. And he says, I have given you instructions. I've given you laws which you need to follow. And he then says, which a man does and lives by them. I am God. So he's not saying these laws you need to do. Because these are the very law, these this is the thing that's going to give you salvation in eternal life. It's just your works and how you keep these laws. That's not what he's saying in Leviticus. And but many people have used Romans 10, verse 5 to, to make it like he's now paraphr- He's now saying, Oh, we've got this righteousness of the Torah, which means, oh, you get saved by works. That's actually not what he's saying. He's saying the righteousness of the Torah is that if you believe in God, you will do what I say. If you believe in God, It's like the father saying, if you believe in me, you will do what I tell you to do. And then he goes in verse 6 and he says now, he, he, he talks about a second righteousness. And he says, the righteousness of belief speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart, who shall ascend into the heavens? That is to bring Messiah down. Or who shall descend into the abyss? That is to bring Messiah up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of belief, which we are proclaiming. That if you confess with your mouth the master of Yeshua and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Now, this is a very, very famous few verses. We've heard, all heard these before. But what if I told you that this is a direct quotation out of the Torah? That Paul is not coming up with something really much new here, but it's actually all just a quote from Deuteronomy chapter 30. You know, he's, he's saying, it sounds like he's first talked about this righteousness in the Torah. And now he says, and now I'm talking about this righteousness of the belief in, in verse 6. It's almost like he's opposing it, but I want to submit it's not an opposition to one another. You see, righteousness simply means right standing. In other words, a righteousness with God is being in right standing with him. It's being good with God. And so let me ask you the question. Can you be good with God if you are in total disobedience to his law? To his instruction what he instructed you to do no you you can say god i believe you as much as i want as you want but if you do not have evidence of that in your works and your obedience then that belief means nothing so first you talked about there's righteousness in uh, in in the torah that comes by a man does it if he says that he believes in god he shall do it and live by them And then he goes and he talks about this righteousness of belief where he says that now the second righteousness I want you to know about is this righteousness of of the belief where you profess with your mouth and confess that he is is Messiah and believe in your heart. And so let's read in Deuteronomy where he got this from. For this command which I'm commanding you today, Deuteronomy 30 verse 11, for this command which I'm commanding you today, it is not too hard for you, nor is it too far off. It is it is not in the heavens to say, who shall ascend into the heavens for us and bring it to us and cause us to hear it, so that we do it. Nor is it beyond the sea to say, who shall go over the sea for us and bring it to us and cause us to hear it, so, so that we can do it. For the word is very near you, in your mouth and in your heart to do it. See, I set before you today, life and good and death and evil. You see what he just did there? He's saying the word, what is the word? Yeshua, right? Saying the word is near you in your mouth where you confess it and in your heart where you believe him. And then he says to do it. Because the word that he's also talking about is the word that was given in the beginning. That is the Torah. Given before Yeshua actually came in the flesh, he was the word from the very beginning. And he's the word that became flesh. And so he's saying that this word is very near you in your heart, in your mouth, where you can face it, in your heart where you believe it. And he says to do it. And this is exactly what Paul is saying. He says the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart in Romans ten verse eight. And so what does this really come down to? Well, in Deuteronomy thirty verse eleven, he says this is the this is what he, he starts it off. He says this come command, on, I'm commanding to, to you today. It's not too hard, not too far off. This. Walk of Yeshua. This word is not too far off, not too hard for you to do. You see how many people would try and disconnect these things completely and say, well, Yeshua got rid of this instruction and this law and this word. But this is actually so in contradiction to Romans where Paul is actually, he's quoting directly from the Torah and he is saying, this is the righteousness Is that you are obedient to this. The word which I'm commanding you. That's not too far. Not too hard for you. It's not over there far in the heavens where you can't get it. It's not in the abyss buried far where you can't get it. It is here today. What is he really talking about? It is a prophecy of Yeshua. Where he will come in the flesh right before you. Walk it out. Show you what it looks like. Not far off. It will be so near. So clear. And now you have an example to follow. And so it's clear that, God, that Paul is encouraging us because he's quoting directly from Deuteronomy. And so, you know, just to just to if we just it's interesting, you know, if we just go a little bit further back in the, the from the verses, what he quoted. So he quoted from um, around Deuteronomy 30, verse 14. But if we go to Deuteronomy 30, verse 10, we read this. If you obey the voice of Yahweh your God to guard his commands and his laws, which are written in this book of the Torah, if you turn back to Yahweh our God with all your heart and all your being, so this is where he talks about this. are the laws, these are the laws that he are, he's not just talking about uh, the few the, the 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 commandments that Jesus expanded on when he was here. He yes, those, but those are simply an expansion of the big picture, the foundation that was given in the beginning, which is the Torah of God, and that is what he is referring to in verse ten.
1: Exactly, as Petey was saying, a lot of times we see this like this weird um, separation between well, Torah and then Christ. When there's really what Paul is saying, they're directly connected. There is that unity between this this um, parallel he's drawing in um, in Romans 10, and like Petey said, Deuteronomy chapter 30 where he says it's not in heaven who will descend to heaven everything else he said there where it's talking about the torah but he's drawing a direct correlation between the word of god the torah and messiah how god gave israel the torah to walk in obedience to it and also to walk in faith because remember it has always been about faith as well and then how he has given yeshua that they are to be obedient to walk in his footsteps and to walk in that faith as well they're not odds. They're in unity. It's God's following the same exact pattern. Remember, Yeshua is the Word made flesh. He came to walk it out so that we might know how to walk as well, to walk in obedience of faith. I mean, Paul just said a moment ago that Yeshua is the goal and the aim of the law for righteousness. So they're directly connected and one does not replace the other. They go hands in hands.
0: Right. Exactly. And speaking of replacing something, <laughs> you know, next up, Paul actually talks about uh, what we call to know today as replacement theology, where, um, you know, we, some believe that the church have replaced Israel. And uh, he, he kind of talks about this from around Romans 10, verse 19 and onwards. Uh, Christina, do you maybe want to read for us from verse 19? Sure thing. Romans 10,
1: verse 19. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me.
0: You know, um, I just want to add here in, in Romans ten, verse nineteen. Um, you know, when he, he we read, we're really reading here a, a kind of a prophecy, if you will, of of modern day of the modern days today, because we're seeing that you know he says he, he talks about in Rom, verse nineteen. I shall provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I shall enrage you by an unwise nation. You know, and. He's really, he's, he's talking to Israel, and he's saying that those who are who you, Israel, consider as unwise, who you consider as, you know, um, the pagans, dirty, unclean, etc., et especially with all the traditional beliefs that they held to, you know, um, God is basically saying, I'm going to use them, and I'm going to reveal to them many things, and give them many things, and he goes, and he says in, in verse 20, I was fine by those not seeking me. I was made manifest to those not asking for me. You know, so God is doing all of these things because he He wants, I want to submit, he wants to provoke Israel to jealousy. And this is really um, not the end goal, like in that that's He God is like, I'm getting rid of Israel and now I'm giving it to this other people and now I'm, and that's it. No, there is a purpose and a goal behind this. Uh, which I'd like us to talk about.
1: So then like Peter just said, has God rejected or replaced Israel? Well, Paul wants to answer and say, I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people, whom he foreknew,
0: Right, and in verse 8, he, he says that, you know, has God given them a spirit of, of deep sleep, eyes not to see and ears not to hear unto this day? You know, and that's exactly what obviously has happened. We see that Israel today, they, you know, their eyes are closed. They they can't, many of them, they can't see Yeshua. And even though there is a great revival happening and, and many eyes are being opened, we see that this these shut eyes have been prophesied. You know, it shouldn't really surprise us. But God has a plan. And I want to submit to you that what happened with Paul uh, in his uh, before he became an apostle, you know, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, like we've discussed, the writer of Romans. And, you know, he, if we think about his great revelation, what happened to him, you know, he was, he basically he, he was blinded. You remember? Like he was, God struck him with a blindness. And only after being struck with that blindness. Was he able to humble himself, see how he has fallen short because he had a lot of introspection to do and repentance, and then God sent a, a disciple to heal his eyes? And then his eyes was physically open. But it is all a picture of what happened in the spirit with Paul, where his eyes were then spiritually, of course, open to, to Yeshua. And, you know, that's really what I believe God is doing with Israel today, too. You know, Israel had a pride issue. You know, we Israel had this idea that they are chosen by God. There's, you know, they, they had this idea that all the Gentiles are, are dirty and unclean, like we've discussed. They're, you know, you're not even allowed to, to eat with them in many cases with all their oral traditions that were not from God. And so this pride issue, I want to submit that, that was, this is one of the reasons that God chose to do this. Because just like Paul had an incredible amount of pride that kept him from seeing Yeshua, that's what's happening today. In much of Israel. And we see that, um, I believe that Israel, Israel, when Israel um, humbles himself in the same manner, in other words, when God will, when they see their blindness, when they realize it, humble themselves and repent, their eyes will also be opened. We read in, in uh, Isaiah, because uh, we actually see in Romans 10, verse 8, again, Paul is again quoting from the prophets here, and he's quoting from Isaiah when he says that they have eyes not to see. So let's see what he says there. He says in Isaiah 29, verse 18. And in that day, the deaf shall hear the words of the book. And the eyes of the blind shall see out of gloom and out of darkness. And the meek ones shall increase their joy in Yahweh. And the poor among men rejoice in the set apart one of Israel. You see, he says not the big leaders and not all. He actually says those who are who make themselves the least, who humble themselves. And that's very similar to what Yeshua called anyone who wants to follow, how he called them to follow him we ha- or to humble ourselves and follow him. And similarly, in Isaiah, the prophet, he says, hey, it's going to be the meek ones, the poor among men who will rejoice in the set-apart one of Israel. And so this is part of it. I believe that God is he, he, he wants to... He's, he's kind of, we ha, he, we had this Israel who was so um, prideful because because of how they were, you know, this chosen people looked down on the Gentile, if you will, the goyim. But then God is like, you know what? I'm going to lift up the goyim. I'm going to lift up the Gentile. I'm going to bless the Gentile with many things, knowledge and a revelation of, of me. And then I'm going to let Israel see how I'm blessing the Gentile. And then Israel will be provoked to jealousy to follow that. Their eyes will be opened and as soon as they humble themselves in that place. Cool. You, um, Christina, do you want to read from Romans 11?
1: Now I am speaking to you Gentiles. Inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. Now, I'm going to actually make an interesting little um, connection there that was revealed that, you know, when Paul says, I am speaking to you Gentiles inasmuch then as I'm an apostle to the Gentiles, there's actually someone else in the Bible, in the prophets, who is the exact same, who's called the exact same thing, a messenger to the Gentiles or to the nations. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is because it will um, help bring some light to what Paul's about to say in a moment. And this person is the prophet Jeremiah. And when he says also in Jeremiah that he was given as a prophet to the nations, he was formed in his mother's womb for this purpose. I think it's Jeremiah um, 1 verse, I forget which verse, but anyways, and so we have this connection between Paul and Jeremiah, this this messenger to the nations, to the Gentiles, because that's what nations is, it is the Goy. And so in this, Paul continues, in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you although a wild olive shoot were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree do not be arrogant toward the branches if you are remember it is not you who support the root but the root supports you then and you will say that's so, a
0: big, that's a big deal because he just said do not boast against the branches because that's exactly what we have done in many cases as the church and that we have came and we have we're saying, oh, we're, we're grafted in now. We're part of Israel now. And we've got something that you guys don't have. Like, you know, when we're talking about the Jewish people. Oh, we've got something. God gave us something and you don't have it. Oh, you know. And we have this whole boastful thing. And that is what replacement theology is. It's isn't. It's an utterly, theo- I'm going to just say it how it is. It's a theology that's, that's based and built in pride. And that we think that we are replacing Israel. We boast against the branches. And then he says here, he warns us, Paul, because Paul, God knew this was going to happen. And that's why he's writing this. And He says, if you boast, remember, you do not bear the root, but the root bears you. And just, and he goes on and he says that, hey, just like because of their unbelief, you know, they were taken out. You, how much more can you be taken out in your pride and in your boasting against uh, Israel?
1: And it's exactly like what Petey was saying. And going back to the relation between this olive tree, why does Paul mention an olive tree? It goes back to why he even said he was a prophet or an apostle to the nations, to the Gentiles. Because in Jeremiah eleven sixteen, the Lord once called you, speaking to Israel, a green olive tree, beautiful with good fruit, but with the roar of a great tempest. Will set fire to it and its branches will be consumed. So there were branches who were broken off due to their unbelief, like Paul says here in this altruist Israel. Those who had unbelief were broken off, so those who have that faith are grafted in, but not to have the arrogance that oh, we've been grafted in now, we've replaced. No, the root bears you. And if the natural branches were cut off, so easily you also can. And how much easier can those natural branches be brought back in again? And that, of course. Is the prayer like even Paul said in the beginning as his heart's desire and his prayer to God that all of Israel would be saved and this olive tree is Israel we are grafted into Israel I I'm like Paul says in Ephesians 2 when um, he speaks concerning those who were once far off um, let me just open that up really quick because Ephesians 2 while we have read it before in this series I think it really connects with what Paul is saying here in Romans 11 when he says <clears throat> Speaking to the Gentiles, verse 12 of Ephesians 2. Remember that you were at that time separated from Messiah, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Messiah Yeshua, you who once were far off, right? The branches who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Messiah through that faith. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one. You become part of that one olive tree. There's not two brides. There's one bride of Messiah. There's one God, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Loheni, Adonai Echad. Hero is of the Lord is your God. The Lord is one, one God, one bride, one altar. But now in Messiah, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Messiah. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments and expressed in ordinances. Now, these commandments and ordinances are not the Torah. Those are the man-made walls of hostility between, like we talked about earlier, Jew and Gentile, that had that Jews could not fellowship or have any type of um, communion with Gentiles, like we have in Acts 10. Peter could not go to the house of a Gentile. That were man-made rulings, man-made laws made by certain authorities in the Pharisaic authorities, uh, from, like the house of Shammai, like we talked about previously, that were not in Torah. But Paul is saying here through Yeshua, through faith, through coming in, being grafted into Israel, through faith, that man-made wall of hostility has been broken down because there is to be one olive tree, one man. So then you are no longer strangers. You are no longer um, branches from a wild olive tree, right? But you are now fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. It is based on we are founded like we talked about. The root is holy. That is the foundation. It is the word of God. It is Yeshua. It is that walking in obedience of faith. And when you accept Yeshua as your savior, as your Messiah, you are grafted into the olive tree. But for what purpose? As Paul says, you who once were far off from the covenant of promise from the commonwealth of Israel have now been joined in through that blood of Messiah, through faith. So you might walk in obedience of faith according to the entire word of God, following in Yeshua's example.
0: Yes, exactly. And, you know, it brings to mind just kind of, um, very, I guess, randomly, but Noah—the story of Noah with with the dove—you know, because I've I've talked about this before in a video where, you know, I believe Noah's thing with what he did with the dove is is very prophetic and speaks to a lot of this. And that, you know, the first time he sent out the the dove and it, it found a no place to rest its feet when it left the ark and it roamed the earth, found a no place to rest its feet, and because the earth was kind of not ready, there was still a lot of water on it, and then it returned and then Noah sent it out again. And then the dove did rest, found rest, and it actually came back with an olive, uh, a branch, right? And you know, and then he sent it out again, and the dove never returned. And so, you know, we see this whole idea that um, the 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 dove, when it was sent out the first time, found no place to rest. It's like when we rejected, the, or when Israel rejected the spirit um, on Mount Sinai, uh, when God wanted to to pour out His spirit. But then the second time, you know, at Mount Zion, you know, with the, um, what we know as Pentecost, Shavu, Shavuot, um, this, the Holy Spirit was poured out. That was like when the dove was sent out the second time and it find a place to rest. And, you know, we see this olive branch there. You know, it's that picture that what you've been talking about, Christina, with, you know, the the olive tree and how we are then kind of, we are grafted. It's a picture of how we are grafted into Israel, We're grafted in and this is all there. We have this this revelation of the truth. We have this revelation of the spirit. The truth on Mount Sinai. The spirit on Mount um, Zion. Where it was poured out. All of this. The combination of this is what God gives gifts us with. And the purpose of it is to walk in the fullness of Messiah, in order to 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 provoke the Jews to jealousy and to. You know, if if the, the let's think about it this way, that Yeshua he said, "I did not come but for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I came for those who are a part of Israel, right?" And uh, this is now um, uh, physically, spiritually, I come but for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Did he do? Did he say that and all that just to leave us with all these amazing things we have today, like the spirit and the truth, just so that we can shove the physical line of Israel aside and say, you know what? I'm sorry, God forgot about you. No, no, no. The point, Yeshua, the whole point that we have it, one of the biggest points is that we may display it to them and love them in to this kingdom. You know, so honestly, if if um if we are if, if I say a Christian or someone who believes in Yeshua, but they they have a hatred for Israel or anti Semitism or anything like that. I'm immediately going to question the legitimacy of their belief because the Messiah that we are to we are following was not like that. He we need to understand that one of the primary reasons that we have what we have as uh, as believers is to provoke Israel, Jew, non-Jew, but Jew especially even to jealousy. Right, and then um, in Romans eleven verse twenty-five, uh, Christina, do you want to read for us from there?
1: lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all of Israel will be saved. Now, it's interesting when Paul talks about this, this mystery he talks about. I mean, we love mysteries, right? So what is this mystery? A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Well, it's actually interesting, because if you go back to Romans 9, Paul talks a little bit about this exact same thing, this mystery of the Gentiles, the fullness of the Gentiles, and all of Israel being saved. What what does this even mean, and what is he talking about? So, for the fullness of the Gentiles, let's go back to Romans 9, verse 25. We're just going to go a little bit of a backtrack just for a moment. 9, 25. As he says in Hosea, Paul is quoting from the book of Hosea, I will call them my people who are not my people talking about Israel and I will call her my loved one who is not my loved one And that is quoting from Hosea 2 verse 23 however of course in this chapter Hosea is talking about Israel yet Paul seems to be referring to the Gentiles in this verse so what what's going on what what is Paul talking about did he just misquote no Paul was much more clever than that. So what Paul is talking about, interestingly enough, is that when Hosea is speaking in this chapter, Hosea 2, verse 23, there was the northern kingdom of Israel and there was a southern kingdom of Israel. There's a house of Israel, the house of Judah, right? We know it like that. And the house of Israel, the northern kingdom of Israel, had been separated, if we remember, during the kings of Israel during that time. They had been exiled. They had been dispersed among the nations. And they had become even part of the nations. Become Gentiles, you could say, even though they were from Israel themselves. But they had become dispersed so that you could not even tell the difference between those who are Israel and those who were Gentile through and through. Yeah, they lost their identity. Exactly. They lost who they were. They lost their identity. So when God is saying, I will call them my people who are not my people, I will call them my loved ones who are not my loved ones. So even as the Northern King of Israel, those, those are were Israel, had been dispersed, they would be brought back. And what's interesting, it's kind of like, if you think about it like this, Israel's like salt. I mean, we are called to be the salt of the earth, right? So if Israel was like salt and you pour it into a cup of water, well, it will dissolve, but the salt is still there, but it's mixed with water. So how do you get that salt back? You bring in that entire cup of water. So you have all the salt and water as well. So those who are not God's people, are brought into being his people again. Those who were, who had distanced themselves from God, who had rejected him through their own rebellion, disobedience, God is bringing back. But also, all those who want to follow after him, who desire to follow the God of Israel, are now, like Paul talks about in Romans 11, engrafted in, into the olive tree. Also, in. Um, it's, okay. it's
0: also, I think, important to note, I think it's a good point here to note that, you know, the whole term Jew today we have. Um, is, you know, like you mentioned, we have these two houses, house of Israel, house of Judah, northern house of Israel, southern house of Judah. And this idea of Jew was not really around. Um, well, it, it doesn't refer to all of Israel. It only refers to the, the southern kingdom. So it refers to the the the, the tribe of Judah, Benjamin, uh, and Benjamin in the in the Southern house. So, you know, we have this whole Northern house that lost our identity like we discussed. And they are people who are, were actually, they were there in the, you know, part of the 12 tribes. Um, there were 12, um, 10 tribes that, that were the scattered, lost their identity, and they're not Jews like today. We, we don't know who they are. They lost their identity. So, you know, when we say, Oh, you know, um, those, those are things are for the Jews. What we're really even saying is is that's only like two of the 12 tribes, you know, the southern houses, the two tribes. And so, you know, when we talk about the physical line of Israel, there's actually 12 tribes and 10 who lost their identity. But then, like Christina mentioned, We are then, we can then, if you're, maybe you're part of Israel and you lost your identity, you know, bloodline, or you're like totally not connected, you're totally wherever, but then God allows you to be grafted into Israel and become part of that divorced northern kingdom that that kingdom that was divorced that northern kingdom which god said now i will restore my relationship with you and that's what he did through yeshua hey if you've never heard any of this before i did an in-depth teaching called scattered and regathered um on my youtube channel and so i really encourage you to search for that and look at that if this is brand new to so we can and there are digging too much many more of the scriptures
1: And that's basically what Paul is talking about here when he says, a partial hardening has come upon Israel. So like when Paul talked about, that was Romans 11 verse uh, 25 again, when he talks about in Romans back to chapter nine, just for some um, context, he says in verse 32, 33, when Paul says, why? Because they did not, they being Israel, did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works, they have stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it were written, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense; and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. Now it's interesting because what Paul's doing here is he's kind of pulling a rabbi. He's combining two different verses, Isaiah eight fourteen and Isaiah twenty eight sixteen, to make a point. It was predicted that Israel would stumble over this, but so that whoever believes would would be able to not be put to shame. Believes in who? Believes in what? They stumble over the Torah, if so they're not keeping it. And they're now coming back to keeping that. But now also the cornerstone, we have this stumbling stone who believes in him. Paul is making a very clear connection between this stone and Yeshua. And so what's interesting is that we would even talked about a moment ago, that the northern kingdom, those who have been dispersed, the ten tribes are right, in the nations, and they become, you could say, as Gentiles. They don't know that they've lost their identity. And those who are of the house of Judah, those who are we know as Jews today, And so there has been a stumbling stone, but there has been two almost sides of the stumbling stone. That is Yeshua, this misunderstanding of Yeshua. Um, And so we have the northern kingdom, those who are Gentiles, those who are in the nations, they've stumbled. And those, you know, we in Christianity, we've misunderstood the side of Yeshua. That is the truth side, the Torah side, the walking in accordance and obedience to the word of God in truth and in obedience. Because we've seen, well, Christ is the end of the law The Torah has been done away with. That is a, exact an important part of who Yeshua is. He is the word of God made flesh, as it says in John 1. But yet we've stumbled over that in much of Christianity and those who have been coming to faith in this side because we don't understand this connection that Paul is bringing to light here. The other side of Yeshua is the side of spirit. And so we have the house of Judah. They have the Torah. But they don't yet see Yeshua as Messiah. They don't yet see that anointing of the spirit that comes through being baptized in the water, accepting Yeshua as your Messiah. And so that connection between the Torah that Paul is bringing and the connection between Yeshua and that when you believe in him, they come together. You will not be put to shame because when you believe in him, there is that obedience of faith. And there is that beauty that comes through being able to walk as He walk and walk in the obedience of Torah through Yeshua.
0: Exactly. We have this whole thing with the Jew, the Jewish people, like Christina said, having uh, the Orthodox Jews, if I, if I may, you know, having the Torah, but not the, the spirit. And then we have the Christians uh, tradition or uh, mainstream with just speaking like that. Generally they have the, the, the spirit, but they don't have the Torah. They believe it's abolished. And, you know, but God is changing this. So in such an amazing way in these days, you know, we're, Sitting like we had this, like this, this person of who is following the spirit and being led by the spirit and who is obedient to the Torah and the truth of Father. We had this person, this believer in the first century. You know, we the disciples all did this, Yeshua all did this. Um, the first century church did this, they met in home churches, they even went to synagogues to learn the Torah. This was the vibe that was going on in the day, but. Then, you know, many things went wrong. We had the Catholic Church come in and throw out many of the things causing division between Jew and Gentile. We had anti-Semitism. We had all of these things, the Crusades, all of these things causing all this division. And and so we stopped fellowshipping with um, Judah. So now there's this there's this rupture and we have this now misunderstanding. And how can you expect, you know, you you can't understand. Uh, things that have been carried up from generation to generation to generation through the lines of, of Judah, and God said in His Word, Paul actually says that they were entrusted with the words of God, but they were divorced from us, if you will. They they were separated from us, from or from uh, the average believer of the Southern Kingdom, uh, the Northern Kingdom, and with that we we we've been separated from many of those words of God that were entrusted to them. But see now, thousand five hundred years later, about or so, you know, we see that hey, God is doing something amazingly new here. I, I think that that it's new, but it's old. You know, the it's 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 a first century thing, but He's doing it. Some He's restoring things that were stolen and lost from us um, in this age, and that is why this is so exciting, guys, and that's why we are even making these videos and speaking because about these things. Because this is something that God is doing all across the world. But we still have this rupture. We have this thing where we have all these people who are super. God is doing like this heavy, amazing outpouring in terms of spirit. Where people are going and doing amazing things in the spirit. Casting out demons, healing the sick and doing all these things. And But then in the other side. And then we have another group of people like getting revelation around the Torah. And, and, and the law of God. And returning and saying, hey, these all these instructions that we've never been taught in church. Or we need to actually be obedient to. And. And see, but right now it's very segregated still. But God is bringing a restoration, a, a radical middle, if you will, ground, middle ground where, where we have these, both of these, all these things coming together because that is the walk of Jesus. That is what he looked like, and that is what he calls us to. Cool. You want to go on for us, Christina?
1: I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to god which is your spiritual worship now it's interesting just pausing here for a moment when paul says to present your bodies as a living sacrifice he's actually talking temple language here and what okay, it's starting at the very beginning what is a sacrifice <laughs> we know that in the taurus something that's you no longer own it it's not yours anymore it's given away so in that same vein, Paul is saying that you are to give your bodies. He's talking about a physical as well, not just a spiritual like, oh, yeah, I, I believe this. I'll do that. I with You know, my mind, I believe in Yeshua, but my body, my actions, my life is going to be witness to something very different through what I'm going to do, what I'm going to say. But he's saying your bodies as a living sacrifice, your physical bodies are sacrificed in that sense to God's will and to walking in holiness was acceptable, as it says here, to God not acceptable to us, maybe in our own flesh, but what is acceptable to him, um, the transformation from the inside out. And what's interesting is that even as Paul talks about this living sacrifice, it kind of gets back to something that is spoken of in Torah called the Olah offering, which is the burnt, the whole burnt offering. The whole burnt offering, this Ola offering was actually offered twice a day in the morning and in the evening and it's actually one of the sacrifices that god says this is my sacrifice this is my offering interestingly enough because god says that we are his we are to be his temple of holy spirit and we're to be a living sacrifice for him holy and acceptable to god that is our spiritual worship and this hola offering is completely burnt up it's completely sacrificed nothing is held back We can't give god part of it you know part of our lives and say, well, I wanna keep this 20% for my own. No, we have to give all of it, all of our own flesh, put it on the altar, right? The old man and say, God, I give you everything. I surrender everything. But also we think about it, it's interesting because it's Ola offering that we have this relation because remember, Paul knew the Torah inside and out. He had it memorized as a student of Gamaliel that this Ola offering that's offered twice a day, the morning and the evening. Well, just for fun, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6 on my handy dandy phone <laughs> so Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4 hero Israel the Lord our God the Lord is one this is the watchword of our faith this is what Yeshua quoted in Mark when he, the um, scribe asked him what is the foundation what is the most important commandments of the of the Bible and what's the most important commandments yeshua began with the Shema the hero Israel the Lord our God is one but now it says you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart with all of your soul, with all of your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, and you'll teach them diligently to your children, you'll talk of them when you sit at home, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. What time of day do you lie down? Morning. Or rather, what time of day do you lie down? You go at, lie down at night. What time of day do you rise up? The morning. So we have the nighttime in the morning. He's specifically talking about you'll teach them diligently to your children, at all times of day, but he mentions also the morning and the night. What time were these offerings given? The morning and the night. So it's all from as soon as you wake up to when you go back to sleep that you are to be walking as a living sacrifice. You're to be that Ola offering. Because remember, these offerings are not just a physical nature, but they're directly pointing to who we are to be. Because remember, when you offer a sacrifice, it wasn't just for the sake of okay, God, here's my my um my lamb, my bull, and now I'm going to go off and sin some more. That. God doesn't want that type of a sacrifice. It's all about our hearts from the very beginning. It's all about our relationship with Him. That we bring these sacrifices in repentance, and so that we can show our love for Him. That we desire to walk in that holiness with Him. And so, even as He says that in Deuteronomy six, "You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall teach them diligently to your children." So that's not just your own self. It's something you shall exemplify to everyone you meet, to your families, to your children. This this walk of holiness, that we don't become arrogant or self-righteous in our own personal journey, but that we're walking in that humility as well and that love because everything is based on love. As it says in the beginning, love the Lord with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that is what this living as is a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable acceptable to God. It is not just to our own flesh or to our own what's acceptable to us. Remember when we rewrite the word of God to what works in our own um desires and opinions like the book of second opinions this is my opinion of what i want to do and what i think is acceptable but no what is actually written in the word of god and in the torah and that's kind of what paul is drawing us back to even in the sacrifice and now relating us with that same sacrifice That we are to be a living sacrifice obviously we're alive but we're to live with our bodies holy set apart as god says in leviticus 20 and 19 be holy as i am holy So it is his standard of holiness, not our own, that we are to to live to. And of course, this is a call not just for, for pastors, for missionaries, or for those who especially see themselves in leadership. This is for everyone. We are to have this walk that we are sacrificing our flesh daily when we rise up and we lie down. It is not something we can do once a week when we go to church or when we go to synagogue. We can, you know, we can become holy then. This is a daily thing. This is not just once a day, even this is all throughout the day that you begin the day with this and you go to sleep with this exact same concept. But of course we can't do this on our own strength, but through Yeshua, through his spirit and his grace.
0: Yeah. And it also, you know, I love what you brought up and said about the, the temple and service and all that, because we also, if you think about it, you know, Yeshua, he was a living sacrifice. Came, okay? He came to die for us. He, Put his life on the line for us, and but he is also the high priest, and he calls us then to be a living sacrifice, like we just read in Romans, and then we, he says you are also priests. And now it's interesting because in the the vertical priesthood, what would happen is you had the temple service, and the, the 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 we have a we had a priest who was there to keep the fire burning continually. He had to make sure hey. This sacrifice, it's going, and it's, you know, he has to take care of it. And then the high priest would come in to kind of check up on him in a way, like kind of to make sure that he, uh, he's doing his job, you know. And similarly, you know, it's kind of like the high priest is the administrator. The high priest is in charge. He's making sure everything is going uh, according to plan, if you will. Um, but this priest, he's got this sacrifice that he has to take care of. Um, to And, you know, in the rest of Romans then, he he talks, Romans 12 um, onwards from verse 3, he, he talks about the kind of how he lays out how are we going to be this sacrifice? How are we going to um, administer, if you will, the sacrifice that is going to be pleasing for when that high priest comes into the temple and has a look, that high priest which is our Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus. So when he comes into the temple and has a look, and what we've been taking care of what is he going to think you know and he actually in, Roman, in the rest of romans 12 he he like i said he he actually outlines this for us um and he says uh, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think that's the first thing he says now it's interesting because you know it also brings to mind that thing of we're all members of one body you know we are we have We have any talks about how the arm and the leg and, you know, the eyes and there's no part that is more important than another. And each part has a different gifting or purpose and do not boast against one another or think that you are more important. That is one of the first things that he lays out in, in, in telling us how this sacrifice ought to be, you know, and it's interesting because. It's really about pride. It's about being humble. He says, be humble. Do not be prideful. It's one of the first things he says. Well, it's also just about the root of all sin, isn't it? Right? And then he goes in verse 9. He says, um, let love be without hypocrisy. Okay, Don't be picky on who you love. Shrink from what is wicked. Cling to what is good. In brotherly love, tenderly loving towards one another. In appreciation, giving preference to each other. Not idle in duty. Do not be a priest who is idle over his responsibility of keeping that sacrifice burning continually. In other words, you need to be burning continually. Like Christina mentioned, that sacrifice. That you need to give your body up. Every part of you, everything you do, say, think. Everything you need to give up to burn continually for him. Do not be idle in that duty. And he says, be ardent in spirit, serving the master, rejoicing in the expectancy, enduring under pressure, continuing steadfastly in prayer, imparting to the needs of the set-apart ones, pursuing kindness towards strangers. Oh, now it's getting hard. (laughs) Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. And, you know, this is exactly something that he's also addressing what's going on in the day, because the Pharisees believe that we, yeah, they believe you need to bless uh, the your neighbor and love your neighbor and all that. But they considered their neighbor, the guy literally who was living next to them or the guy who was sitting next to them in the synagogue, or, you know, that was who their neighbor was. But this is actually talking about a different kind of neighbor too. He's talking about the neighbor that the guy that you don't know. And in fact, he goes too far to say the guy that hates you, the guy that does wrong to you, the guy that you. But the world says you'd be better off separating yourself from and not paying attention to and looking down upon. That's okay. You can do that. That's what the world says. But Paul is saying something very differently, and he's just teaching what Messiah was really teaching.
1: Mm, exactly. Exactly. And everything hinges. What you know, Paul continues to say in this chapter, chapter twelve, on those first two verses, when he says to be a living sacrifice, because this is what it means. This is like the heart of the matter that he's been leading up to, what you know, walking in obedience of faith is. It's that like being that living sacrifice in holiness, what's acceptable to God. And I just want to touch on verse two, when it says, <clears throat> "Do not be conformed to this world." But be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And of course, this really ties in and really brings light to what that first verse is about. Because being a living sacrifice, like I said, being wholly acceptable isn't just what's acceptable to us or to our own flesh. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed, that inward transformation we've talked about before. So what is this world? What is the What is the definition of the world? Well, it's honestly, it's any uh, realm of influence where God is not reigning as king. Anything in a secular realm where he is not getting the glory. And so we can look at things around us. What is not giving, what doesn't give him glory? What takes away from His glory? What takes our focus off of him? Do not be conformed to those things where he is not reigning as king. Don't be a chameleon where we change our color no matter where we go so that you can never tell who we really actually are. (laughs) Rather, I mean, we should be always being a witness of our king. Never changing to match him with this environment and that environment, so we don't actually have a true witness of who we actually are who our King actually is, who does not change. Now it's uh, interesting. Uh, Go yes. ahead.
0: All right. Yeah, and this is this this ties in what you said about the chameleon so much with Peter and um, Paul because Paul, remember, he um, in Galatians he talks about how he opposed Peter to his face so harshly, uh, but it was all about this thing. that you're talking about Christina with how Peter was. He was changing colors on where he, depending on who was around him. If he was around the Jews, he acted a certain way. If he was around the Gentiles, he would act a different way. And if, in other words, he was—he actually, Paul actually describes this of how how uh, Peter was sitting at the table, and you know, as soon as as the Jews walked in, he suddenly changed his behavior and. And you know, try to impose the traditions of men, or follow the traditions of men, and lift that up above the traditions of God um, in that moment. And so, yeah, just to, to tie that back with you, you know, it's it's so important for us to not um, compromise where we go and who's around us, and at the same time, also not uh, we not a fellowship with darkness in in that. Remember, now I'm not saying we should not ever go into the presence of someone who's an unbeliever, but rather not to fellowship with them, in that they, because uh, they they can easily corrupt us. So there's that fine line there too uh, that we need to look at.
1: Exactly. So do not do not be conformed to the world. We can be a light to the world that's what we're called to be a light on a hill so that where there is darkness that our light which is really yeshua's light in us that it brings light to that darkness but do not be conformed do not be in a place do not Put yourself in a place where you'll be tempted to become like them because you want to fit in. And that's very easy. That's our human nature. We want to fit in. We want to be accepted. But you cannot be conformed to this world because then you become part of the world. You are no longer a light. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Now, what's interesting is in a lot of our congregations and a lot of our churches today, we have this idea that if we become kind of more um, acceptable to the younger generation by introducing certain elements that, to be honest, are not maybe even scripturally beneficial or spiritually beneficial. Sometimes they're okay, they can just add, you know, some interesting things to it, but sometimes we really get carried away and we add in even worldly elements to attract our young people or even just make the gospel shallow, the scripture shallow by just introducing a very, a very, um, a word of God that is just the milk and not the meat to make it easy on those who are coming in. We're introducing these elements that are not just straight from scripture for the sake of making it easy. But what's interesting and what's sad about this is that when we do this to reach people in our churches by giving a gospel that is more watered down and more shallow, it's like if we have a field that we've been tilling, right? And so we till it, but we only, with our plow, till it a certain depth, and we do this year after year. And what happens then is that we develop what's called a plow pan. So that hard layer of clay and soil underneath that top thin layer so that when you plant plants now, their roots will never go past that hard layer because you've only ever plowed shallow of soil you've only ever given them that shallow gospel a shallow teaching from the scriptures that when their time of testing comes they need to grow they need to go down deep they cannot because they don't have anything to draw from and they become like the plants they're, they're weak sickly and they can even die it can even fall away
0: oh yes and you know what this talks about very much is You know, I don't want to step on toes here, but you know, and I'm not against children Bible stories, but oftentimes, you know, we're as parents, I think it could be like, you know, I'm going to read him Noah's Ark and and that little watered down children book. But then oftentimes that's all that they ever hear. That's all that they get. It's like what Christina said that's as deep as it gets. But if we look at the first century, brothers and sisters, it was so different. It was so, I mean, you had to, like, the children memorize the torah like there was like a to z they like the stuff what we are talking about here would be like milk to them in comparison to how deep they would go into the meat um and you know so god really wants i believe god wants to make a change and bring a change in this where it's not this lukewarm spoon feeding and that's and it's just and, and it's a shallowness but we need to but see the, the the thing is, is the way the only way that this can change is if it starts with us. It starts with us being so immersed and full and eating of the meat of the word, so that when our children come along, we can feed them meat too, because you can't give someone meat if you don't have it yourself. And so, you know, God calls this because if we want to see this if we if we're saying god we want to follow you with all we have we want to follow this radical Messiah we want to be like the disciples we need to pick up our cross and start letting our children see that but you see if we give them um secondhand things that are that that are not even deep in to begin with how will we why, how can we even be confused when they grow up to deny god or grow up to not understand any of the scriptures you know it is kind of Like today, we have this most Christians, unfortunately, or let me say most people in in, uh, countries like America or, you know, even here where I'm in South Africa, where it's very much traditional Christianity, where to grow, you, you know, you grow up because you believe because your mom and dad believes, but oftentimes that we believe. We work, We only know the average guy. and He knows the, the few stories in the Bible, And we, but we never dig deep. We go to church every Sunday, but we never dig deeper. And God calls us to then now dig deeper and because that's where we'll find him. That's where we'll find the Word that became flesh. You see, you, that's it, guys. It's as simple
1: as that. Exactly. <clears throat> that's where we will find the Word made flesh. That's where we'll find Yeshua and what's interesting is that how these verses are such a you know such important verses for this chapter chapter 12 because it's about choices as well it's about do not be conformed like he said but be transformed because it's about if you are conformed to the world it's about the choices you make if you choose sin over and over again by habitually walking in in that sin you find yourself a slave to sin the choices you make make you and instead of going from glory to glory you go from gory to gory When <laughs> we choose the flesh when we choose our own self our own desires and what is acceptable to us instead of what is acceptable and what is holy to our god and to our king and that's where to be transformed by the renewal of our mind and it's interesting there's almost like this um, relation that paul is also bringing again by talking about transformation the renewal of our mind here in romans 12 and drawing it back to romans 1 when he says speaking of those who had rebelled against god this in romans 1:28, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge god god gave them up to a debased mind to do what not what ought not to be done because they rebelled because they disobeyed habitually walking in that sin by being conformed to the world they were given over to a debased mind but god is saying or paul is saying here Um, Do not be conformed to the world. You have a choice to be given over to a debased mind or to be transformed by the renewal of your mind, a renewed mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable and perfect. And when you have this, you're walking as that living sacrifice, sacrificing yourself daily, right, to his will, to what is acceptable to him and not being conformed but being transformed then each of the following verses will fall into line that is when you cannot be arrogant not be prideful but walk in that love and humility in the gift things that god has given you because you are not being conformed to the standards of the world which will say well my way is better than your way i'm better you're less no god is holy god is king it's all about him it's not about me i desire to serve him and to walk according to his will in his acceptable will and his holiness, and to teach others to do likewise in that same humility and love. And even as Paul talks about coming to the end of chapter 12, when he says, um, Romans 12, verse 9, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. You know, oftentimes we'll say that we love our brother and our sister. And we're speaking the truth in love, but we'll actually be speaking the truth in love while hitting them over the head with the Torah or with the Word of God uh-huh. because we actually have put ourselves on the pedestal that we've got it, you don't, let me show you what's right, hit you over the head, smack. But let love be genuine without hypocrisy, like P said, without fakeness, that it is truly that we desire to see them come to understanding of the truth in the Word of God, but that it is not us who convicts or speaks, it is the Spirit. We can be a vessel, but in the end, it is the Holy Spirit who speaks and that we must be willing, but humble servants, humble vessels as well in that same vein. And like he also says, abhorring what is evil, holding fast to that which is good. We talked about earlier, do not be conformed to the world. So when that says, do not be conformed, don't just dislike certain things that we know draw our attention away from God. That would be temptations to us. Don't just dislike them and put them off to the side. When Paul says abhor, Hate them with everything in you, with your entire mind and body as it spoke of in Romans 12, verse 1, right? Your body is to be a living sacrifice, be transformed in your mind. That gets back to when you give over your body, which is your actions, your life, your witness, and your mind. That goes back to Deuteronomy 6 when he says, bind these words around your arm, so our actions, our life, our bodies, everything we do, and bind them around your forehead as our minds, what we believe what we take into our mind and our heart and to what we walk in now because our mind influences our actions they work of course hands in hand and these go directly together we are to abhor we are to detest what is evil what goes in contrary to the word of god to the torah because remember what is sin sin is lawlessness sin is breaking and walking in disobedience to god's word to his torah which is holy righteous and good as paul says in romans 7 we get to abhor that but to rather hold fast to what is good now hold fast doesn't mean okay we it's interesting the words paul uses he doesn't say hate what is evil love what is good rather hate abhor detest what is evil and hold fast with everything in you to what is good do not let go do not let go hold tight to what is good every day like we talked about we're Deuteronomy 16 of the morning and the evening, that Olah offering, is every day, hold tight again and again, do not let go to what is good because that is with the Torah, that is the words of life, Yeshua. He came to give us the word of life to expound on this. And we know Yeshua came as the word of God made flesh, which is the Torah, the, which Paul says in Romans 7, like I just said a second ago, which is holy, righteous, and good. Hold fast to what is good. And that is our calling as believers in Yeshua.
0: Exactly. And, you know, it really, the combination of that is how we treat other people. It's, it comes down to, you know, what greater love is there than a brother who lays down his life for another, right? And so that's where it comes down to. But how much more love is there if he lays down his life for an enemy or someone who dislikes him, you know? And this is what Paul gets to. He says in verse 20, Romans 12 um instead if your enemy hungers feed him if he thirsts, give him a drink for in so doing you shall heap coals of fire on his head you know the other day i heard about a fellowship who they they still hold on to this belief that you know oh we don't have to do these things for people we don't know like good things we don't have to um you know f- you know the feeding the, the the sick uh feeding the hungry um healing the sick and doing all these things, those are things that we do in our fellowship for our brothers and sisters um, because that's who our neighbor is. But I'm telling you, that is not what love is. How easy is it to love someone who, you, who loves you? It's easy, okay? It, it is love, but it's an easy love. Um, but loving someone who you have no, who is a stranger, who, who you don't know, who is a bad person maybe even, who mistreats you, who mistreated someone you love, Whatever, that's the, what Yeshua did to the ultimate extent, is he came to die for those who hated him, even though the very ones who put him on the cross, even the very, the very ones who hanged with him alongside him on the cross, even though he was innocent. And so you know, he, he goes on and he says, uh, "Yeshua, he, he actually says the following. He says in Matthew 5 verse 39, "I say to you, do not resist the wicked." But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn to him the other also. And he who wishes to sue you and take away your inner garment, let him have your outer garment too. And whoever compels you to go a mile, go with him too. give to him who asks of you and from him who wishes to borrow from you, do not turn away. Now, listen, the world is going to tell you that this is unwise. The world will tell you that if someone borrows and borrows and borrows, oh no, stop, they don't give to them. They're just, they're just they've got an agenda. Oh, they're just whatever the case is. Oh, you know, if someone um, slaps you, oh, just, just walk away. Don't don't. Yeshua said something very different. He said, listen, if he slaps you, you turn the other cheek and let him slap the other. If he steals something from you, give him more. Let him take it all from you, is what he said. This isn't a con- complete contradiction with what everyone else around you will tell you, but Yeshua tells you differently. You know how many times I've heard people tell me, you know, when I've given to a poor man or something, and you know, someone they'll be like, you know, oh, PD you're just, you're just, uh, you're just making it worse for them. You're just, you're, why are you just, why are you giving to them what they ask of you? I'm giving because my Messiah told me to, and I'm going to listen to my Messiah before I listen to anyone else. You know, whatever. He told us, He told us for a reason. What is the reason behind this? You see, if we give to someone these things, even though they despise us or they 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 have a bad intent, heart or bad intent or whatever, if they try and do come to us with a bad intent, yet we give it to them and we give them even more, you know, that's going to just do something in their heart. The very thing that brought you to repentance to Messiah was that He came to die for you and give, 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 even though you just took, took, took and never said thank you. Never understood. But one day you came to this revelation of, why does my Messiah, why does Jesus keep giving to me, even though I've got so much sin? I've got so much hatred, maybe even for him, maybe for, for whatever. I, I've got so many issues, yet he keeps giving. Why? And that's when the kindness of God brought you to repentance. That moment was the very thing that changed your heart. Just like Paul that, you know, and, and, and everyone else. Their hearts were changed when the grace of God was revealed to them. And so see, the way that we bring people into Christ is by giving them the same, giving them the same grace that He gave us. And this is why Yeshua tell, tells us, tomorrow when you go to work and you've got that colleague that hates you and, and keep, is just out to get you, or you know, when you go to school and you've got this one teacher that keeps, or this bully that keeps bullying you, Turn the other cheek is what he said. And this is the commandment that is above all else in terms of how easy it is to do. It's incredibly hard. But this is what it means to be a disciple of Christ. And I tell you, brothers and sisters, that there's going to be many who keep the Torah so well, but they don't do this. And they're going to stand before him one day and he's going to say, oh, well done. You did the Torah, you did all these things, or well, while you thought you did, but you didn't do any of it because you missed this, because this is the culmination of the Torah. This is what it hangs off. And if you don't get this right, you might as well give up because it doesn't matter. This is where it begins and ends. Is how do you treat your neighbor? And when you get this right, if you get, if you're able to dial yourself to a place where you can be like turn the, oh, you slap me here, slap me here, that's fine. Then you're actually only then you're able to actually keep anything else, anything else, the Sabbath, the feast days, whatever else, all these other things, everything else we're talking about on this channel. And, you know, you'll only be able to keep it if you can love your neighbor. And so this is why Yeshua talked about this more than anything else. And he resisted the Pharisees because their hearts were so far from this thing, even though they upheld the law and said, oh, how well we keep the law. Yeshua knew they've got no idea what they're talking about. They're not keeping any of it. Because they're not loving their neighbor. Yeah, they're loving their brother who is sitting next to them in the synagogue. But they're not loving their neighbor in, in terms of the stranger who sojourns among them. Instead, they're calling them unclean and tossing them aside. And so just, I want to just read one more verse here. He then says, you have heard was said in verse 43, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those cursing you, do good to those hating you, and pray for those insulting you and persecuting you. You see, when he says, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, he's talking about a, a traditional uh, man-made teaching that was going around. It's not a God's Word. It's not in the Bible, anywhere. Man-made teaching was going around. He's saying, you've heard that said. I'm telling you that is, not, you're missing the whole point. I told you. Bless those who curse you, those who persecute you, those who hate you and and, and do things for them. Love
1: on them. Exactly like P just said, <clears throat> when people disagree with you and people persecute you, you don't go right back and, and curse them or um, say things you should not as a believer in Yeshua. That would diminish the light you have because they said it so I can say it now too doesn't matter I've heard this and we've seen this on you know on websites on the social networking realm um, where we've lost sight of what our goal is remember we're running a race in this race the goal is Yeshua and we should never lose sight of that even if someone says something that, that hurts our feelings do not lose sight of what is our calling and our calling is to run after Yeshua and to be that light and to walk in love no matter what happens like P.E. says turn the other cheek and to be that witness of Yeshua's love because you remember if that's what the Word of God, that's the foundation of Torah. It is loving the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor, which includes more than just the guy sitting next to you, but loving your neighbor as yourself, and even as Yeshua said, giving up your life for that person, setting your life in the line just to be a light and a witness, to love that person in humility and kindness. And because really, our lives are our ministry. Every step and every choice we make depicts who we serve. And that is sometimes the only gospel people will see and will ever read is your actions towards them and who do you serve that is reveals in how you live your life and the choices you make the places you go and what you do so are we being witnesses of our king are we being witnesses of our own fleshly nature that like we have that choice like paul said earlier we have the choice between being transformed the renewal of our minds or and given over to a debased mind, the choices that we make, make us. There's this connection always between the spiritual and that physical, with the actions in our our lives being witnessed, but we must have it grounded in that faith and that love. Because remember, it goes, goes back to that first thing Paul said in the beginning of Romans, obedience of faith. We need to have both combined, not just simply walking in the written word of the scripture, the Torah, like certain Pharisees were doing. They kept it perfectly. The written but they had none of the spirit none of the faith none of the actual heart of the torah and that's why they could tell yeshua oh you broke the commandment of sabbath when you heal someone when actually the sabbath is all about restoration it's all about bringing freedom and healing you must have the heart the spiritual aspect with your physical actions as well they go hand in hand and this is what paul is bringing to a point here in romans 12 as he's drawing them together because this is our calling as we are called to be a holy priesthood a chosen people we are to walk according to his word walking in yeshua's footsteps walking in the obedience of faith being living sacrifices like we've talked about, not being conformed to this world, but being transformed by the renewal of our minds, abhorring what is evil, pursuing and holding fast what is good, loving our neighbor, loving the Lord, and being witnesses of who he is, who our king is, spreading his kingdom of restoration, which is also, of course, extending his message of invitation to all who desire to come in to be grafted in to his kingdom to be part of that olive tree be part of israel israel of faith who follows after god who desires to serve him in the obedience of faith
0: amen and on that note thank you guys so much for sticking through with us um i'm so excited about this i know this has been a long one um, but thank you for sticking through um we I have good news in that way, though. Next week, we're going to be doing only two chapters because we're actually getting to the end of the series. And uh, we're, we're going to be doing Romans chapter 13 to 14. And so if God wills, we'll see you next week. And thank you so much for sticking through. Uh, We want to encourage you, you know, with how we ended this is that, you know, go and tomorrow and this week when you go, go and love your neighbor and the stranger who sojourns among you, the man who does not know God, the man who knows God, but or the man who thinks he knows God, (laughs) whoever it is, go and love on them, despite how they treat you. You see, see it this way. If someone mistreats you, that is an amazing opportunity an opportunity to show them an uncompromising, radical love that only God can fill you up with. And so tonight, when you go into your secret place, you need to go and you need to ask God to empower you to go and do this, because I believe there's a lot of people listening to this message right now who have people in their lives that they can come up right now in your mind who are, are, are hurting you or, um, you know, wherever they are in your life. And you just feel like you just want to kind of hurt them back. You know, that's kind of the natural reaction. That's what the world will tell you. I'll tell you tonight that God calls you to act differently. And in that way, go and love them radically, even though they mistreat you. May God bless you and keep you. Shine His face upon you. Lift up His countenance upon you. Give you shalom and grace. And uh, we'll see you guys in the next video. Shalom.